From the grassroots media team at Weave News, this is Interweave It. Welcome to episode 12 of Interweaving. I'm John Collins. Today we continue our COVID-19 Diaries series, focusing on how people in diverse locations are experiencing and interpreting the global pandemic caused by the spread of the new coronavirus. As of today, March 26th, the Coronavirus Resource Center at Johns Hopkins University reports that there are now more than 510,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus infection across the world. Nearly 23,000 people have died, and more than 120,000 have recovered. Here at Weave News, we issued a call for audio reports on March 16th, and we've been receiving reports from around the world since that time. You can find the call at our website, weavenews.org. Please share it with friends far and near, and please consider adding your own voice to this project. In this episode, we spotlight five voices from an American living in Hong Kong, a Peace Corps volunteer who was recently evacuated from northern Mozambique, a writer for the We Are Not Numbers project in Gaza, a young woman in Kathmandu, Nepal, and a teacher in Amman, Jordan. In the spirit of the COVID-19 Diaries project, each of their reports provides us with a snapshot of a local moment in the development of this global story. Hi, my name is Aubrey Menard. It's March 23rd, and I'm reporting from Hong Kong. Uh, It's interesting being an American in Hong Kong. Uh, Of course, we've been shut in now for about eight weeks here. Life hasn't been normal. Uh, But even before that, we were having school closures and business closures because of protests earlier this year. So it's been a really challenging time for Hong Kong and the losses that businesses and individuals were feeling earlier in the year because of the protests have only been compounded by the virus. Um, Things were pretty well under control here, um, but now that uh, people are people from Hong Kong are returning home from abroad. They're bringing the virus back with them. And over the past few days, we've seen a major escalation in cases. The government is doing its best to try to get control of things. And I think this presents a really uh, interesting case of civil liberties versus collective, the, the need for uh, collective health. So as people are coming into the Hong Kong airport, authorities are putting uh, bracelets on them that track their movements, and it's connected to an app. When you get home um, from the airport, you have to be in a two-week home quarantine. Uh, you connect the bracelet to the app and map out the perimeter of your apartment, and um, authorities will monitor you and uh, make sure that you're not leaving your home quarantine. 
there have already been 41 people who have violated the home quarantine rule, according to the data from the bracelets. And the authorities have managed to track down five of them. Well, as of last night, they've managed to track down five of them, and they're still searching for the rest. Um, there have also been a lot of issues with the implementation of the bracelets. Some of them are not working. The app is malfunctioning. So it seems that Hong Kong is still trying to get the kinks worked out of the system. As an American, it's interesting because I can't imagine the U.S. ever being able to implement a system like this. At a time when uh, thousands of people are dying, when the virus is spreading like wildfire, makes you call into question what measures are necessary to protect the health and well-being of people and get the virus under control and what measures are are against civil liberties and things that we should never give up. So I think uh, we're really seeing countries hotly debate that and figure out where they fall on either side of that issue. In Hong Kong, I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of cooking, Skyping with family and friends back home to see how everyone is doing, uh, but mostly just continuing as, as those of us in Hong Kong have gotten very good at over this past year, staying inside and attempting to stay safe. Thanks. My name is Brendan O'Keefe. Today is Tuesday, March 24th, and I am reporting from Stratton, Vermont. But I'll be reporting on my former community in Mozambique. I was in the Tet province in a small town west of Tet City toward the Zimbabwe border called Shitima. I am a returned Peace Corps volunteer. I was just evacuated with all the rest of the Peace Corps volunteers in the world. I was there for seven months, uh, three months of training, and then I was there for four months in my community. I was an English teacher in eighth grade at the secondary school in Shatima Tet. How has it affected my life? Well, as I said, I was evacuated. I just got into JFK yesterday, and today was my first full day at home in Vermont. Being evacuated was a, a terrible experience. I, along with, you know, I think pretty much all other Peace Corps volunteers didn't really get a chance to say goodbye to our communities. And, you know, you, you, you go into these communities looking to, to do some good and looking to, you know, build a life there for two years. The standard Peace Corps service is 27 months, three months of training and then two years of, of service. So I felt like I had just kind of gotten, you know, I'd been teaching for, for about a month and I feel like I had laid the foundation in my community and, um, you know, made really strong connections with a lot of people and it was all just kind of torn away from me and, you know, a lot of other Peace Corps volunteers have that same experience. And now being back here, especially under these these circumstances, it's been hard adjusting. I feel like... Uh, I should be happy to be home. I always envisioned uh, returning home, being back in the United States and experiencing, you know, American things after being away for so long. 
you know, and the, you know, the reunion with my, my family, uh, to be, uh, this big joyous occasion. And it's not like, uh, I'm not happy to be here. Um, which is sad and hard to reconcile. And obviously coming home in this situation, it's, it's just, just, you know, you feel kind of distant, removed from society and, uh, I've got a lot of catching up to do. Um, so in Mozambique, I was there about a week ago. It wasn't affecting my community. The first case in Mozambique was reported today, so people weren't really taking it seriously. Uh, in fact, there was a lot of misinformation being reported. My school, the faculty had a WhatsApp group and a, a lot of other Peace Corps volunteers, pretty much every other Peace Corps volunteer uh, in the country, their school's faculties had had uh, WhatsApp groups as well. And they were used to, you know, spread information about various things. And a lot of it was about, uh, coronavirus and a lot of it was misinformation, you know, about supposed cures or, or how to prevent it or, you know, the origin of the disease and, or joking around, you know, like memes about coronavirus. And, uh, a lot of it was, you know, really dangerous and it's especially dangerous in, Mozambique because of the the higher percentage of the population being immune compromised like in Mozambique uh something uh, like around 12% of the population has HIV and uh, as well as you know the lack of resources in hospitals so on and so forth it's there's you know levels to it there should be better coverage about the uh spread of misinformation regarding coronavirus because it's definitely a phenomenon in the U.S. as well, but it's it's not nearly as prevalent as it was in Mozambique. And the misinformation in Mozambique is going to affect them a lot greater than, you know, that, that misinformation would affect us here. It's going to keep people from getting the, the help that they need. And it was kind of ominous those last few weeks in, in my community. It was It was kind of like seeing a car crash. It was like watching a car crash, like, you know, right before it's about to, to happen. It's like being there right before disaster is about to hit because it's going to, to ravage that community and that country, you know, and, and many other countries throughout the world. I mean, it already is, you know, it's spreading like wildfire everywhere. It's making me realize more and more how much more susceptible poor countries are to disaster scenarios. Like Mozambique had a cyclone day back during the summer and, you know, it, it seems like an obvious thing from from the outside. Like a natural disaster or a, pan- a pandemic like this is going to affect poor countries a, a lot more. But there's levels to it that you don't really get unless you're there on the ground or unless there's good reporting on it, which there never is. You're listening to Interweaving, a podcast of conversation and context from Weave News. Contributions from readers and listeners play a central role in helping us continue and expand our grassroots media-making efforts. If you'd like to support our work, just visit weavenews.org slash donate. Now, back to the show. My name is Hanin Abdel-Nabi. Today is Thursday, the 26th of March. I'm reporting from Gaza. COVID-19 affects Gaza in a bad way as we are here living under a siege for almost 13 years and we already have a bad economy. It's getting worse over people 
who has to work day by day to earn a living as waiters in the restaurant, drivers, builder, and so on. Staying home is worse than staying in a prison like Gaza. Now I feel that I have to love Gaza more than I do because it's the last place that Corona attacks. Well, I'm afraid of losing my beloved people. You can imagine how if you are in a prison and one is getting sick, so you are expecting that the whole town will get sick too. Uh, we are not far away of this because in the last week, the first two cases appear. And today, uh, we have new seven cases. It's like an earthquake that threat a whole town. Lately, I discovered that wars are equally dangerous like coronavirus. If this virus spreads all over Gaza, it will turn to a zombie city. You will see dead people in the street. You will definitely see this because we didn't have enough aids and medicine to serve over 2 million prisoners here in Gaza. Imagine how Gaza will turn into a ghost town like almost the whole world now. Now the world are sharing us the same way of life. We are all in a prison. We are staying at home because we want to uh, be safe. Gaza is already has a lake of health community. We're not having enough hospitals to cure patients. And if the numbers of the coronavirus uh, patients raise, we'll have this kind of disaster because we are all about to fight something that a whole world, a strong whole world couldn't fight. And I think the small prison like Gaza will not be able to fight a virus that a whole world couldn't fight against it. Thank you. My name is Mamata Shrestha. Today is Tuesday, March 24, 2020. I am based in Kathmandu, Nepal. Today I am going to share about our situation due to outbreak of coronavirus. From today morning 6 a.m., our country has been facing lockdown. Yesterday, our government have released the fact stating that total two number of cases of death has been identified due to outbreak of this virus. So for the precaution of this disease and for this virus, our government have started lockdown from today morning for the next one week. To add more precaution and safety for our country people, the government have also sealed the border post areas. Moreover, the people who have come to Nepal from the border areas have been now placed in quarantine area. The quarantine area are mostly campus spaces and the open spaces nearby the border post of our country Nepal. I'm further afraid that my country has weaker health infrastructure so it is not ready to face the disaster that may occur in future. So I urge the government and my people to be more serious about this outbreak of this disease and bring major precaution and safety measures to avoid the disaster that can be avoided. Thank you.
my name is Wafa Ramini and I'm reporting from Amman, Jordan. Today is the 26th of March. Actually, today is my birthday. This is my first birthday witnessing history. First of March, Corona was something that you only read about in international news. Things changed drastically since March the 2nd, when Jordan authorities announced the first case of Corona, which caused a lot of panic among the people, but it still seemed far-fetched that it would spread. We all carried on with our lives in a normal manner till the weekend of the 15th of March when a Jordanian woman arrived at Toronto airport and was revealed to carry the virus. This caused a snowball effect and by Saturday evening, the government announced the closing of all schools, universities, and all academic institutes. I work in an academic institute, so this directly affected me. Many of my students, they had to leave Jordan. I teach Arabic for non-speakers, so many of my students are from the USA, and uh, they had to leave Jordan very shortly after that announcement. Ever since, we have slowly advanced into an eventual full lockdown throughout the whole country. As of today, we have 172 confirmed cases of COVID-19 in Jordan. COVID-19 has changed daily life in Jordan drastically for those uh, who are fortunate enough and can continue their work from home. They have done so. However, who cannot are at the risk of not earning their daily living. Everything has happened so quickly that it has not given people enough time to process what is going on. You can sense that people still aren't taking it seriously as it doesn't feel real. We all feel like we are in a bad dream. No matter how many warnings there are, people are more concerned with getting huge supplies of food than the fact that they are diving into the sea of people who are potential carriers of the virus. Sometimes it seems impossible to calm the hysteria that I'm going through every day, worrying about loved ones, work, the future. The only thing helping with keeping me sane is that I believe in God and that he will answer the prayers of millions of people in some way or another. Thank you. On behalf of the team here at Interweaving, thank you to Aubrey, Brendan, Anin, Mamata, and Wafa for contributing their voices to today's episode. We will continue to publish new episodes as often as possible as we use our citizen journalism network to help weave the world together during this global pandemic. We would love to have you be a part of the project, so please do check out our call for submissions at weavenews.org. 
Thanks and take care. Interweaving is a production of Weave News, weaving the world together, one underreported story at a time. Our engineer is Terry Dubray, and our theme music is provided by Be Children. For more exciting grassroots media content, find us online at weavenews.org or on social media at Weave News. There you can find out how you can support or join us in our work. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode of Interweaving.